Today's scripture reading comes from Psalms 119, verse 89. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. This is the word of the Lord. So what happened? My goodness. It's happened. We are now CGS. Whatever that means, right? What does that mean? We are CGS, the church gathered and scattered. This is something that we have been praying for for years. And I remember when I first came here this month, nine years ago, and the Pilgrim EM at the time um, was just about a handful, a handful of people, and it just started to grow And um, I came in as a youth pastor, Awana pastor first, and then youth pastor. And then I saw God continually doing his transformative work in this congregation. There are people that have been here in this congregation now longer than I have been, who have been praying for over 10 years for this very moment. This is incredible, you guys. This is something that God has blessed us with. Today is not just a momentous day because it's 2017. We can call ourselves CGS. Today is a momentous day is because God has finally come and placed into fruition all of the prayers, people here and people not here. But God has answered those prayers and we're here. Why don't, can we just give a clap offering to our God now? And so, uh, like Eugene, my brother Eugene said, this is our birthday week. Um, Back in the olden biblical times, they didn't just have a wedding day. You know, we like things concise. We like dates and times. So when is your birthday? And if you meet someone from the older generation in the Korean crowd, they might say, my birthday is uh, January 20th this year. And you're like, what are you talking about? Oh, next year it's going to be February something because I follow a moon calendar. And you absolutely don't like that person afterwards because you can't celebrate their birthday. But back in the olden times, even marriages would be just lengthened for a week. And we see Jesus did his first miracle in a marriage. They had the wedding week in Cana. And uh, when they did, Jesus, they ran out of wine. Uh, They didn't run out of wine because it was a day event. It was a week-long event, and I guess people liked to drink that wine in that that week, so they ran out early, and Jesus didn't go and say, no more wine for you, drunkards. He actually gave them more wine. Uh, But in the same way, uh, we want to drink lots of wine. No, uh, in the same way, we want to lengthen this uh, celebration, this birthday of ours, um, logistically, financially, from one one, from today, we are the church gathered and scattered. Um, Commissioning-wise, next week, the Korean ministry is going to commission us in their second service. So they are going to legitimately send us out as a daughter church, meaning we are not under their roof uh, government-wise. Like, literally, we're still under the same roof, but... Government-wise, we have our own session. Uh, We have our pastoral staff in place. And we will be 
uh, a separate entity. And so our first technical, technically our first, very first uh, service will be at five o'clock next Sunday. So please join us then. It is a momentous occasion. We want this whole birthday week to culminate with five o'clock downstairs in the fellowship hall. I heard there's lots of good food. We're going to celebrate. I'm sorry, we won't have the wine that they did in Cana. Maybe if Jesus comes, he can make us some. But uh, what we will have is good food, good fellowship. We're going to have some prizes and games and fun that, that way. And we're going to really celebrate. So I want to invite you out next week to really come and celebrate with us, all of us together, as the church gathered and scattered. You know, it's pretty incredible. Uh, even the leadership and I, uh, we were together for four years. I remember even before that, there was something called the SALT team, and then there was the A team, and, um, and then there, there was the deacon board that came up, and slowly and surely, we see ourselves maturing and growing and now I see people come up to me and they're asking me, how can I get involved? Can I be a part of this leadership? And I am so happy to hear that. You know, this is what it's about. Uh, maybe, maybe in other avenues it would have been more difficult for you to be a leader of the church, but this is a place where we want to foster that discipleship and leadership. So if that is your heart, please come see me, uh, see any of the leaders and the pastors and we really want to raise up disciples. That's, that's the vision and mission of this church. And uh, traditionally, we had January, the first Sunday of January, as the vision Sunday. And so I just want to tell you from the get-go, our vision and our mission is to raise disciples of Jesus Christ. Everything that we do, every ministry that we have, all the elements that you see here on this table is so that we can raise disciples from all nations, but also our community of this generation. And the reason why we wanted to go independent really is because we believe that through this process, we can reach this lost generation. When I talked to the KM elders and the KM pastors, they would ask me, why do you want the EM to go independent? Why do you need to go independent? Isn't it comfortable just to stay under this roof. And uh, what I said was, I believe. You know, we send people to Mexico, we send people to the Philippines, we send people to Japan, we send people to Africa, all over the world. But I truly believe the call that we have in this place is to reach out to our generation. You know, if you go to college, how many of your friends and peers know Jesus? In fact, here's a better question. How many of your friends and peers went to youth group and stopped going to church after? When we find out the statistics, it's staggering. So we focus a lot of energy on reaching out to our young people. And independence is a step that we can take to reach out to those that are lost so that we can be a light in dark places. Yes, here we are gathered, but we are gathered for a purpose. After we worship and recognize and get refueled, renewed, rejuvenated, we go out, scattered, to be a light in the dark place, to be the salt in a tasteless world. And so this is my prayer that we continue to grow. You know, who do you know? Who's your friend? 
that you love, that you cherish, that you adore, do they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? You know, we want to encourage you, give you the tools, equip you, and send you out to reach those that are unreached. And so I hope this is the beginning of where we can really start fostering and equipping the saints for God's good work. We have a theme this year, and uh, last year our theme was to humbly walk with Christ. And as we walked humbly, we saw that God lifted us up. You know, as, as the pastor here, I always have a million thoughts running through my head. Um, even when I would talk to my father, I knew I would get in trouble as a kid. And before I talked to him, I, would, I actually wrote down on a notepad the different scenarios that can happen and how I can rebut what he says. But he always got me. I was like, oh, of the 32 scenarios I got, he did the 33rd one. I don't know. I, I, just, I just couldn't beat him. But, you know, a million thoughts run through my head, and I realized that a million things could have gone wrong, that this might not have happened, that something, a hiccup could have come. Not just the forces here inside, but forces outside. And you guys are all aware of what's happening outside our church, how people are trying to come into this church even to change and disrupt. And a million things could have gone wrong. So this day is momentous, you guys. This day is a day that we should remember and give thanks to our God. And so as we walked humbly, what we want to do now is we want to Go forward, press on, move in God's will. And I believe this is the theme that God has given this church. And amazingly enough, it's also what the KM adopted for their year motto as well. And that is back to the Bible. Back to the Bible. You all must know, but this year marks, and this is our birth year. This is just crazy, right? This year marks the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. That means 500 years ago is when Martin Luther took his 95, page, 95 thesis and he hammered it on the Wittenberg wall, door. And he said, you know, it's not by these other things that we are saved but only by Jesus and by the grace that God has given us that we are saved. And so that stirred up a movement that still goes on today, the Reformation. We are a kind of a people that we like the old ways. You know, we can claim that we like science. Science is king, science is God, maybe to some. And we can claim that we know these things now, so why do we need to know anything else? But even... 2,000 years ago plus, there was a guy named Aristotle. I'm sure you all know and heard of him. And Aristotle is the guy or the man that said that no matter how heavy the object, well, depending on the weight of the object, um, when you drop it, if it's heavier, it'll fall faster. That's what he said. Aristotle was brilliant. He had so many good things and right things he said, but this is also one of the things that he said. And he said, if it's heavier, it will drop faster. This is, the, this is someone that was regarded the greatest thinker of his time. And this is, he said, he took two objects, one heavy, one light. You can drop them from a great height. And people just believed them. 
People say, yeah, sure, absolutely. And for thousands, actually 2,000 plus years, people did believe that. People believed that if you, it was a heavier object, it would fall faster. You all are educated here, but is that true? Someone actually, at, during that course of, of his life, someone actually took um, a heavy object and a light object and dropped it. And even though in that experiment it landed at the same time, they believed that, no, the heavier uh, touched the ground a little bit faster, so Aristotle's right. Even up until um, 1589, uh, Galileo summoned learned professors, and they went to the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and then they dropped a 10-pound weight and a 1-pound weight. And they both, this is 1589, they both landed at the same time at the same instance, but their power of belief was so strong that all the professors denied what they saw and they said Aristotle is still right. You know, the power of belief is in us, whether we know it or not. We can claim, oh yeah, science this and we are modern, postmodern, post-postmodern, sure. But that power of belief is in us so strongly that once we think something is right, no amount of evidence can change that. And here we are in a world where we just refuse to believe certain things, refuse to believe certain truths, and we accept something even though we know it's wrong. And there's high evidence of this, even through our election process. You know, I've heard, I talked about this. There are crazy, crazy rumors about uh, candidates and people just ate it up. It's like, yeah, you know, this person is a Satan worshiper. <laughs> it's like, okay. Probably not. But yeah, I, I believe it. It was in um, DonaldTrump.com or something like that. And I'm like, no, I, I, don't, I don't think so. Um, the H is gone. <laughs> it's not here anymore. It's, now we're gathered. Um, <clears throat> but there is one thing that we can learn from this. If you lean so strongly on something, it's bound to fall. It cannot hold up to the pressure that you put on it. Nothing in this world can hold up to the pressure that we put on it. Not even the greatest minds and thinkers, not even the latest science and technology cannot fully, always, 100% hold up to what we lean on it. If you put your faith, 100% of your trust in it, you will see that it will also fall. There is one thing that we Christians believe. We believe that the word of God, as our elder song read today, is firmly fixed in the heavens forever. The word of God never changes. And this is what Martin Luther said when he was being challenged by so many people, so many people were giving him a hard time, a rough time, his life was threatened, all of his regular, um, just his comfort gone, it's gone. And his very life was threatened. And they said, leave, don't do this thing. Why would you do it? And this is what he said, I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. 
Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. This is what he said. And then he went on to be judged, and everybody called him, uh, the courts called him a heretic. Um, this kind of, I, I kind of want to do a little history, where this all came from. Even before 500 years ago, uh, we say Catholic in our confession, but obviously we don't mean Roman Catholic, because if we meant Roman Catholic, we would have put a capital C, but it's lowercase c, except today, every letter was capital, so you might not have noticed, but when every letter isn't capital, the C isn't capitalized, and so I, we put a little asterisk there, Catholic means universal, so in the original creed, we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, meaning the universal church, or as Augustine would say, the invisible church. Um, but the Roman Catholic Church uh, really believed that when Peter, he was the first uh, pope, uh, he died in Rome, so they set up everything in Rome. That's why the Vatican is in Rome. Uh, some of you already know all this. And they uh, started to um, have these traditions, and these traditions became stronger and stronger. And for, for them, they needed to say, oh, Mary was an institution. Mary, you know, it was holy. Uh, they believed in this immaculate conception uh, doctrine, which said Mary must have been fully pure and clean to have birthed Jesus without sin. Of course, we don't believe that here. Mary was human. That means she was with sin. Jesus was without sin because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, and that's our confession. So it gets a little bit different there. But because they did this, you might think this is not a big deal. Ah, uh, what's the big deal? Marry human, marry immaculate, what's the big deal? But what happened then was uh, they raised Mary up to a level where she became a patron saint or um, a matron saint, someone that we pray to. So people would pray to Mary. And if you had a matron, you needed a patron. So uh, they had a papa or a papal um, priest, bishop, and that's who we call the pope. See, we need, they needed to balance things out. And as time went on, uh, the pope became known as the vicar, the representative to God. And now what we had to do was we had to confess our sins to the Pope, or now the priest, and they in turn would go to God. We don't do this, so don't come to me, confess your sins. I'm gonna put that on Facebook if you do, so don't do that. Um, I'm just kidding, I would never do that. Uh, but you can't, we, we share and confess our sins to one another so that we could pray for each other, but we know that the ultimate vicar, the representative, isn't the Pope, it's actually Jesus. People. We don't need to pray to other saints or people. We pray to Jesus. There's nothing in between us and Jesus. And so Jesus is our ultimate representative. But I'll tell you what happened from that tradition was that people needed to confess uh, their sins. And the reasoning behind it was, was, was pretty, it seemed pretty good at the time. You are, let's say, um, let's say I'm king and you needed to come to me to ask me for something, 
but I'm angry at you. You're a big sinner. You did something wrong, but I'm angry at you. So you can't come to me directly. I will kill you, right? The king would kill you. So what would you do? You would go to my mother. You would go to a family member that's close to me. You'd be like, oh, can you give this message to the king? So in that, in that same way, that is why we pray to Mary and such things like that. And that's how this tradition developed. And it's not in the Bible. Uh, no one ever prayed to the prophets or saints. They always prayed to God. But this started to develop. And because this developed, uh, confessions were given to priests. Priests were like, what do we do with this now? This is some crazy, crazy sin. And I've read uh, writings where people would say, I love confessing, but after they kept on confessing their sins to the priest, they would come out thinking, I am like the worst sinner in the world. I am irredeemable. They felt worse coming out. And what they needed to do then was they had things where they would do penance. And penance is where if you confess the sin to the priest, the priest would say, do this for penance. And so you would do this for penance. So you would do that so you're not condemned. Now we're in, in inserting even more tradition, more rituals in here that's not in the Bible. So more and more we see this stacking up. And it's becoming very, very dangerous. Uh, so the Roman Catholic Church developed an idea called uh, purgatory. And let's say you had all these sins and you didn't confess them. What are you going to do? You're going to go to hell, but you're so close, right? You're so close. You went to church so many times, and you confessed like 20% of your sins. You're so close. It would be a shame to send you to hell. So they developed something called purgatory, and that is where you would live out penance before you went to heaven. So let's say you didn't do, you didn't, um, do penance for like 80% of your life. Uh, you would be in purgatory, and then you would suffer for like a million years, whatever, how long your, um, your sins were, and then you could go to heaven. They'd be like, I made it. It just took a million years, right? And then you would go to heaven. What this developed then, and so you see, now I'm just building on that. You have to know this stuff. I, I know it's like a history lesson. It's like, I'm here for a sermon. What's this history lesson? But it's to build on what is eventually going to come. And that is... They decided, the Roman Catholic Church decided that um, there were some people that were just so good. These are people that we call saints. There's some people that are just so good. They're so good that they actually, let's say you had this many sins and you did penance so you barely covered it or you didn't. This is what you serve in purgatory. But some people are so good that they're like here. And these are, these are our saints. So there's, there's this change left, right? There's this little profit margin that you have from the saints. And they would take this profit margin and they would say the church now has a deposit of this profit margin. Um, and the Pope can dispense that profit margin. And so if you fought in the first crusade, we will give you this profit margin so you don't have to serve too much time in purgatory or none at all. Zero time in purgatory. People get excited. I'm off to fight in the first crusade. And people went. Um, this is what we call the indulgence. And this is what many people are now familiar with. 
Eventually what happened was the church decided that you can get this indulgence because the Pope can freely give it as he wishes. You could get this indulgence for a sum of money. And so people would save up money and they would buy an indulgence. And that is one of the key factors in what happened. Finally, people said, we can't do this anymore. This is not biblical. You are not saved by money. You're not saved by indulgences. In fact, if we continue to look in the Bible, there's nothing about penance. There's nothing about purgatory. And so what we wanted to do is we want to make the case. Martin Luther was not someone that just wanted to destroy the Catholic Church. He actually liked them. So he wanted to make the case. Let's have a debate. So when he hammered that 95 thesis, what he was saying is, I want to make the case. I want to make the debate. Debate with me. Show me in the scripture where this is true and show me in the scripture where this is wrong. That's why he did it. That was their classic way of asking and inviting people for debate. But it did not happen, as you can see. And he was kicked out of the church. Uh, one of the key elements of the Reformation is sola scriptura, meaning only by scripture. But what we have done is we have put in on side of scripture tradition. Tradition is equal to scripture. And so what happened to the church then was their traditions were so powerful, people were so afraid. You know, if you do something wrong, guess what? Priest, bishop, pope, they can excommunicate you. You're done. You're out of this church. And people, kings, would come down and kneel before the pope, begging for forgiveness so that they wouldn't be excommunicated from the church. Um, and so th these things were going on. But the, what, what the Reformation movement is saying is, and doing is that this Bible that we have, that is the ultimate authority. Tradition is not ultimate authority. You know, if we change this linen cloth, and this is amazing, the, the communion table that we have, this is something that we bought, and it's linen, uh, it's cool because even though you didn't notice it, there's a little difference. It says remembrance now on it, and it's very cool. But if we change it to black or green or blue, it doesn't mean we're going to hell. It's, it's tradition. It's not as, as high as the Bible. We can't put it as high as the Bible. But what we have done, not, I'm not just pointing finger at the Roman Catholic Church. I'm pointing fingers now. It needs to come back to us. We claim through the Reformation, that we're sola scriptura. But what we have done is sola cardia. We claim sola scriptura only by scripture. But we have embraced sola cardia only by the heart. If the heart tells you, go for it. Listen to your heart. You know, some of us, I mean, some of us, we need some more cardio, right? A little more cardio, but... We think that because of this cardi, uh, we can actually uh, follow it. But how many times has your heart led you to a place where you've been hurt? How many times has your heart led you to a place where you were absolutely wrong? I don't care how young or old you are, it was a lot. But even though we know that to be the case, we keep on following sola cardia. But this is what we want to put as our theme going forward in 2017. It is not sola cardia. It's sola scriptura. 
So how do we live out sola scriptura? We continue to read the Bible. We continue to seek through the Bible. And we continue to obey through the Bible. Uh, How do we do it? Um, Number one, read it. The word of God is our bread. Just like Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of the mouth uh, that comes from the mouth of God, but which he was quoting to Deuteronomy 8.3. Um, <clears throat> and we have to see that this, is, this Bible is our bread and butter to live. Um, a lot of us still go by sola cardia, in, even in the church. And this is very sad for me to see. We see some movements out there in the church where we think, oh, God, God spoke to me the other day. And I'm like, oh, did he? What, what did he say? It's like, you know, when God speaks to me, he speaks to me in pictures. So he gave me this picture, and that picture was to do yada, 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 or do this and that. And you're like, oh, okay, thanks for sharing. But we as Christians, what do we do with that? What we, should do, we have to do is we take that and we put it to Scripture. Does it match what the Bible is saying? Does it match the revelations given in the Bible? And if it doesn't, then we go, no, I don't agree with it. And in fact, like ultra reformers would even argue, why would you even have a vision like that? Why do you need a vision like that? The vision is given to us in the Bible. In Hebrews chapter one, the first chapter, verse one to two, it says, long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The word of God is God speaking to you. The Bible is the ultimate authority in how we can live out and obey what God has for us. So number one, we read it because the word of God is our bread. Number two, we seek it. And we don't look inwardly. We don't say, let's listen to your heart We don't say, what's your heart telling you about this matter? We say, sola scriptura. What does the Bible say? How is God leading our church through the Bible? And the last one is we obey it. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And so we want to obey everything that the Bible teaches us. What does it mean to obey everything that the Bible teaches us? Is it to literally follow every tittle, every mark and comma that's out there? Um, And the answer is obviously no. Uh, You're not gonna read the Old Testament. Not every guy is going to start growing a beard uh, unless unless you're a hipster. Um, And not every woman here is going to put a covering on their head unless you're a hipster. Uh, I'm just kidding. There was an author out there that uh, tried it. His name was A.J. Jacob, and he's not a Christian. He describes himself as a Jewish agnostic, and this is his words. He says, I'm officially Jewish, but only Jewish in the same way that Olive Garden is an Italian restaurant. And so he tried for one year, and this fascinating book uh, came out a few years ago. He tried for one year to follow every single thing in the Bible, in the Old Testament, obviously, literally as possible. 
he began by reading it from cover to cover, writing down every single directive that he could find, and he tried to live it out in a year in Manhattan, and he called it the year of living biblically. He stopped wearing clothes made of mixed fiber. Um, according to Levitical law, he stopped having edges of his beard, and he stopped cutting his beard, so he just ended up with a massive beard. Um, he refused to shake hands with any woman that he thought was ceremonially unclean. And uh, the, the funniest thing was um, when, he, um, when he thought he knew there was an adulterer out there, he, he found little pebbles that he would throw at them because you're supposed to stone adulterers, so he's, he's, he, without them knowing, he would try to throw little pebbles at them. Uh, it made for a great book, uh, but what it didn't do was it didn't um, do anything for him personally, spiritually. It almost destroyed his marriage. His wife said, if you don't stop this nonsense, I'm going to divorce you. I can't take it anymore. And so for him, following the Bible completely was insane. Like, I don't even get it. How can anybody, anybody follow the Bible completely? And the answer is, uh, you can't. You can't. So what do I mean by following Scripture? Uh, Following Scripture and following the Bible as the ultimate authority is looking inside Scripture Everything that we've read in Genesis, every command and every story in the Bible points to somebody, points to someone. Every character and every genealogy whispers his name. That's who we follow. That's what we mean by saying we follow the word. We say we follow Jesus and we obey him. How has he walked How has he blessed you? We walk that way too, and we bless others. This is the call for us as Christians to now follow Jesus completely. Let down all that um, inhibition for you to think, I'm going to still do it my way. 2017 is my year. Because how many years will you have to fail until you finally get it? It's not about fixing your story. We've lived all our lives trying to fix our story. The Bible teaches us it's not our story. It's his story. His story, sorry. It's about Jesus. And this is who we follow in CGS, the church gathered and scattered. Let's pray. And let's ask God at this time to really come and be with us lead us as as we look to his word as we look to Jesus let's ask God to open our eyes open our ears so that every direction that he would have for us we would be able to see every person on the margin of society we would be able to notice and that we would be able to love every person that is lost and needs to be found We would be his hands and his feet and we would gather them in this church, raising them as disciples. Let's pray for 2017. Let's pray at this time.